Praise God, brothers and sisters. When I got asked to uh, say a word, everything that I was thinking about became a preaching. I was, you know, somebody cut me off and I'm like, oh, maybe I should preach about patience or, you know, like everything just became like, and it was actually nice because I started thinking more about how the Bible really connects to our daily lives. And um, I came across this passage in Luke chapter 17, verse 11, and I'll read down to 19. Now it happened, as he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that, that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except for this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go away, your faith has made you well. Now, when, when I kind of read this passage, it kind of reminded me of myself in a way. Because the way that I, the way that I kind of underst- the way that I understood it was that there were ten, there was ten people crying out to God. Like, we're always crying out to God because we need a lot of things. Like, we, we're always, we feel like we're either, you know, struggling with something and we need help. But how many times do we come back to God and thank Him for the things that He has done for us? And out of the ten people who God told them to be on their way, only one of them returned and thanked God. And this, this brought me to, um, this brought me to, when, when Jesus told them to go show yourselves to the priests, they, they left away from Jesus. And um, going back down to the bottom, where um, in, verse, in verse, ni- um, verse 19, Jesus said, Arise, go away, your faith has made you well. This one man that came back to Jesus, he had faith in God. He, he believed that God was going, to, go, was going to heal him. So as soon as he was walking away and he saw that he was healed, he had, he, was, he, was, he had faith in God so that as soon as he was healed, he remembered that and he was relying on God to save him. So he came back and thanked God. The other nine, they never even, they never came back. It doesn't say what, like, what, like it doesn't say that they thanked God or what they did. But I, it, it just reminded me of myself in a way. Like so many times I would, I would pray to God and I'd tell him, like, God, I need you right now, and I, I think I'd have faith, but if I had true faith, then I would be, I would be meditating on his word, and I would be, I'd be relying on God to, to, like, to help me in my situation. And when he would help me out of my situation, I would run right back to him and thank him, because that's what faith is. Faith is having patience. Faith is having love. Faith is reading the Bible. Faith is focusing on God, and as soon as he helps us, we come back to him and we thank him. Those nine other people who, who left and they never came back. They, they were healed, of course, but they never thanked God for it. And so something else might come in their way and they'll do the same thing. And then they get upset that maybe God doesn't listen to them, but they don't come to the word. They don't study the word. They don't thank God. And I feel like that's something that maybe some of us lack. Maybe we, we like to ask God for a lot of things, but what about thanking him for them? Just, just a thank you or 
continuing to read the scriptures to try to try to get more faith. And uh, I also wanted to um, talk about something that caught my eye was um, Jesus said, in, well, in the, in the Bible, it says that the man that came back was a Samaritan. And it kind of reminded me of the story of the Good Samaritan. And the Good Samaritan, um, like I searched up the definition of a Samaritan, and it's a good and faithful person. So like, uh, like, um, like good and kind. So I feel like if we are open-hearted and we are kind like the Samaritan, uh, for, out of, um, from Luke 10, uh, verse 33, um, it speaks about the Good Samaritan. And if we are kind and good and our hearts are open, then we are a lot more, like, our, our faith is different. We, we tend to, like, I've even noticed in myself, like, when I'm kind towards others or, like, when I'm more understanding, I'm, I'm more sensitive to, to, being, to being thankful for the things that God has given me. And there's, there's different types, like, there's different times when we are, we are, when we are faithful, unfaithful, and um, let's just not forget to give, to give thanks because there's so many things that we receive from God. There's so many things that God blesses us with. But are we being thankful for them? Are we thanking God for them? And if we have a little bit of faith, and that is what keeps us meditating in the word. And when God does bless us, we will notice and we will give thanks to God. And that, that makes God happy. And that's, what, that's where we want to be and growing in, in our spirit. And um, I just wanted to like leave it at... Let's be thankful, and through all our faith, let's, let's understand that we ask for a lot of things, but do we, do we thank God for a lot of things? And uh, let's go into a prayer. Um, I'm just thankful to God for Joe. Uh, usually when you're like uh, either leading a youth service or something, and usually when I lead, I like to ask like people that I haven't seen preach before in youth to preach. Like, that's, I want to give them, like, a spot first before, like, we have the regulars, you know? And usually, usually you, uh, you'll ask people, and you'll, you'll ask many, many people, and the answer is usually kind of the same. But Joe, it's like, hey, Joe, would you want to preach? He's like, I would love to preach. It was awesome. Thank you, Joe. And uh, usually it's, I find the most difficult part about preaching is I'll have, like, you have your sermon, right? You have your intro, you have the middle section, and you have the ending. And I'll always, like, have the middle section, but it's always weird for me to, like, how do I introduce this topic? How do I introduce and how do I end it? Like, I have the middle, but it's always, like, it's always, like, uh, incomplete. And so uh, yesterday at work, um, I, was, I was talking with this, this guy. I, I've been working with him for about a week already. And... Uh, at work, you know, I work in an environment where it's mostly all guys and a lot of people swear all the time. They say jokes that uh, you don't really want to hear. But, uh, and when people figure out you're a Christian or they know you're a Christian, they'll start either apologizing the way they're acting around you or they, uh, they'll basically be like, sorry, or they'll, they'll change the language around you. And, I'm, and I'm, every time someone does that, I'm like, it's a good opportunity to just ask them, like, hey, what does it actually mean to be a Christian to you? And so I've asked that question at work, like, five or maybe six times already to people, and usually the answer is always the same. Um, the answer I got yesterday was that 
it's about your morals, right? There's your certain set of morals, and you follow that, and you live by those morals, and if you're a good person, then you're going to get into heaven. That's like the answer I hear from a lot of people. And these people, there's actually a lot of people that I work with, they grew up going to church, and it's like, oh, that's pretty cool. Like, you kind of know some of this stuff already. But when you, like, the guy I was talking to yesterday, he, uh, he went, you know, he actually served in his church. He, um, he started at an early age. He started playing the drums. He was telling me all about his life, but then he just stopped going to church. And um, this guy, he went to church for 17 years, right? 17 years of his life, and he never understood what the gospel really is. He never understood what Christianity is all about. And like a lot of these people, Christianity is just another religion to them. It's like, why is Christianity so important? Why is, like, why do I even have to care about what you're talking about? And it's like, when you say that, no, you're not saved by your works. You're saved by faith alone. You're saved by your faith in Jesus Christ and his righteousness comes upon you. And that's, that's what you're saved by. And so it's really good, like if anyone at work, like, is asking you about your Christianity, just be like, what does it mean to be a Christian? And that's like the perfect opportunity to just preach the gospel to them. And so um, I'll be talking about a lot of different, and they're kind of theologically heavy subjects, but I think we need to really understand this before we get into like the practical section. So I wanted to talk about, first I wanted to talk about that we are saved by faith and faith alone. So because I think not only, not only is it like those people that like they grew up going to church because their parents made them and they never understood Christianity. But I think we can, like I grew up in church and I never really understood what Christianity was until like two, three years ago. Like what it truly means to be a Christian. And so uh, let's turn to Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, not as a result of works, so that no, no, no one may boast. So, and there's other scriptures, Romans 3.28. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith, apart from the works of the law. And Paul, he wrote Ephesians, he wrote Romans, he wrote all these, he wrote these books, and he says, you are saved by faith and faith alone. In fact, in Romans, he says that throughout history, throughout the Bible, in the Old Testament, the New Testament, we, everyone, was saved by faith alone. So, Throughout all of history, from the point that Adam and Eve sinned to where we are right now, it's not that the law was in, like, the Jews had the law and they were saved by following the law. Apostle Paul points out that salvation, like, being made righteous was always by faith. Even when the law was there, it was always by faith. And so, um, how does Paul... How does Paul say this? How does the Paul explain this to the Jews? Because the Jews are like, Paul, what are you talking about? It's, like, it's, like, it's almost like a new concept to them. It's like, we have the law. We are made righteous by the law. 
and you're saying that it's faith alone that saves you. It's like, what are you talking about? We have the law. And who was the, the father of all the Jews? Who did they look as their forefather? Dennis, got it. Can I get it from the girl's side? Who was the father of forefather? They, he's like the main guy that the Jews all look up to. Abraham, perfect. So he's, he's saying that Abraham, your guys' forefather, he lived, guess what? He lived 430 years before the law ever existed. Right? Because Abraham came before Moses. Moses received the law from God, right? He received the law, and then they started, like, following that law. But before that, Abraham, it says he was in Romans... It's in Romans chapter 4, uh, verse 3. And this place is coming from Genesis 15, 16. Abraham, believing, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And so we see that in the Old Testament, before the law was given, people were saved by faith. Like, and even when the law was given, um, Paul was saying that, Paul says in, uh, but Israel pursuing, let's, uh, Roman, I'm just going to read through it, Romans 9, 31, but Israel pursuing the law of righteousness did not arrive at the law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, as though, but as though it was by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. And so, even when they had the law, they were still saved by faith. They were following the law, but like when they were like killing the lambs, when they were sacrificing the lambs to you know cover their sins, that was an act of faith on their part. It's like God said that if you guys do this, then your sins are going to be covered. It's not like they're just chopping lambs. They're like, okay, I understand that when I do this, my sins are covered, but it's always been by faith. And now... It is by faith. And why am I speaking so much about this? Um, because we're not saved by our works, right? Can we say amen that we're not saved by our works? Amen. But, and our church doesn't preach that you're saved by your works, right? We're not saved by works. We're, we're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. But you see so many, like, defeated Christians walking. Like, I used to be just like this just a couple years ago. Absolutely defeated Christians because they're, they're walking around and they constantly feel unworthy before God. They're constantly like, man, I'm, I'm not good enough. Man, I can't, I just can't live up to the standards that God put out. Like, I'm a Christian now and, like, God saved me. Jesus died for me. But man, I really need to work on this. Like I'm so, I, I can't, I can't do this. I can't do that. And there's constantly just like this defeated Christian. Like it's straight up like depression. Like I've seen people. I've been there where it's like when you look at yourself all the time, when you because we're saved by our faith. And James says what faith without works is dead. So, so Paul says that we maintain that a man is justified by works apart from the law. 
And then James says, faith without works is dead. And like I wanted to just bring that up really quick because it seems to me that those places always contradicted each other. Always contradicted. It's like, what, is, what, are, what are they saying? It's really interesting that James, he uses Abraham as an example for works. Abraham existed before the law. So when James is saying, your faith, um, your faith without works is dead, and he uses Abraham as an example, he's not talking about works of the law. It's not like, um, it's not like uh, you're a Christian now and you follow the law, you follow the law. He's talking about it's a work of faith. So a work of faith is like, um, if you believe in something, you're actually going to do it. If you believe that, like, the earth is, um, like, uh, climate change or global warming, if you believe that the earth is literally going to be, as some people say, within, like, what, 12 years, where it's just going to die off. I, there's some radical people saying 12 years is, like, and then those people are still flying in, like, jet planes. And, like, what if you, what if you believe that the earth is going to, die, like everything's going to be dead in 12 years, and you're driving this lifted diesel truck every single day, even though you don't have to. Like, you're, you're, you're saying you believe something, but by your acts, you're showing that you don't believe it. Like, your faith will work. It's not works of the law, but your faith will work. And so, if you constantly believe that, you know, I am not good enough, I'm not good enough before God, I'm struggling with this, I'm struggling with that, then you, even though you don't think it, you subconsciously think it, that you, you are living a works-based salvation. If you constantly look at yourself and like, I'm unworthy before God, I'm this and that, it's a works-based salvation. You're going back, you're putting yourself back under the law. And so, I'm tired of seeing this. Like, I used to be that way, and you talk to so many people, it's like, um, I've asked like brothers, you know, when you ask someone to preach, it's like, I'm not spiritually ready right now. I'm not this, I'm not that. Like, and, you, and you like talk to people one-on-one -on -one, and you see that they're just like straight up, like there's depression and they're just like, I can't do this, I can't do that. And it's like, you're looking at yourself, you're looking at your works. And so for me, what really, what really changed my thinking process about the whole, like, what freed me from that mentality is understanding the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It might sound kind of interesting, but um, we need to understand what the power of the resurrection actually means in our life. And so, before, before, we, go, before we go on to act, when I actually answer the question, we need to build up to what the power of the resurrection um, what the power of the resurrection actually is. So, um, so let's go back to the very, very beginning. Let's go back to Adam and Eve in the garden. So Adam and Eve, they were born, like they weren't born. God created them, right? Sorry, guys. God created Adam and Eve, and he made them perfect, right? They didn't, so when God created them, there was no such thing as death in the world. When God created Adam and Eve, they were made to live forever. They're made to live forever. They're made to communicate with God. And there was no pain in the world. It's really interesting. There's no pain. But then after they fell, 
uh, one of the punishments was like pain during childbirth. But before that, there was no pain. All their food was provided for them. And, but when the, ser- when the serpent, when Satan came, and when he tempted Eve, and Adam took it as well, um, something, something happened, right? Something happened at that very, very moment. When sin entered the world, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. So this per- these perfect human beings that were supposed to live forever, that were supposed to live with God in communion, they now experience the consequences of sin, which is death, right? And they see that death, of, like they see that death when Cain kills Abel, right? They see the consequences of their sin because there is now death in the world. And it was not only, it wasn't only um, a physical death that they're going to be now suffering, like people now die. There was a spiritual death that happened. Spiritual death, their spirit that was alive with God, it is now cut off. The communication is not there anymore. And that intimate communication, I mean, is not there anymore. Their spirit is now dead. And Paul writes, like, everyone who is born after is dead in their sins. You are now, everyone who is born, me, everyone sitting here, we're dead in our sins. It's talking about our spiritual, we're spiritually dead, right? I'm sorry, guys, if this isn't making sense. Is it making sense? A little bit? So we're born spiritually dead, separated from God, slaves to sin. We're under the curse of the law. And so we see that we not only have our body, which is our, Paul says, it's our flesh, but we also have the spirit. And so, and it's really interesting. So the spirit, so the moment that we're born, we are eternal beings, We're going to live eternally, right? We're going to either spend eternity in heaven or we're going to spend eternity in hell. But the moment we're born, like our flesh is going to stay here on earth. We're going to die. But we have that the spirit or the soul, you would want to call it. And it's either going to, and it's eternal. It's either going to go there or there. And we're going to be around much longer than we actually think. So we are born spiritually dead, separated from God. And when we see that sin, when sin, when like when Adam and Eve first sinned, we see that sin entered the world, and then death came at the same time. So I want to make this point that I want to make this point that uh, there's sin and death, and they both came at the same time. You did not have death before there was sin. No one died before sin came into the world. Sin and death came at the same time. We need to make this connection that sin and death are connected. You can say sin and death are married to each other and you cannot separate them. And so we now establish that we're saved by faith and faith alone. We establish that we're born spiritually dead. We establish that sin and death are connected together. You cannot separate sin and death. And Paul says... That when you were still dead in your sins, and I think I already said this, but when you're dead in your sins, 
It's not a physical death. You're, I'm, I'm dead. I'm born dead in my sins, but I'm not physically dead. I'm spiritually dead in my sins. And so, now here we can start talking about the resurrection. Why is the resurrection so important? Here is why Jesus Christ died and why he rose. So Jesus Christ, he had to die to pay the wages for our sin, right? Jesus Christ took our sins upon himself when he died on the cross. And Paul says, like, and I just, this, this just clicked with me a couple weeks ago, like, that link between sin and death, it just wasn't in my mind, and like, I was reading scripture, and it half made sense, half didn't make sense. So, uh, you know, when we sing the songs, like, in church on Easter, it's like, um, if Christ didn't raise from the death, from the dead, then we are still in our sins and our faith is in vain. You guys know like that verse from Corinthians? If Christ didn't raise from the dead, then we're still in our sins. But it's like, wait, like what does that actually mean? What does it mean that, why was the resurrection so important? Like I, I didn't understand that. And because if Christ were to die for our sins, right? Christ died for our sins, but if he didn't resurrect, because sin and death are like this, because if he didn't resurrect from the dead, that proved that death still had power over him, right? If Christ didn't, raise from the, didn't rise from the dead, if he didn't rise from the dead, then that proved that death had power over him. That proves that sin still had power over him because sin and death are linked together. Like if Christ, Paul says that if, if, he didn't, if he didn't raise from the dead, then our faith is in vain. But like Jesus, if he died for our sins on the cross, like if he died for our sins, but if he didn't raise from the dead, then we're still in our sins because Christ had victory over death. And it's interesting, when he came, it's like Christ just hit two birds with one stone. He condemned sin in his flesh. What does that mean? That Christ condemned sin in the flesh. Christ lived a perfect life. He lived a perfect life, and not only that, but he rose from the dead. Everyone who was alive before him just died. But Christ, since he rose from the dead, he showed that death had no power over him. Sin had no power over him. And so, what, is that, what does that mean for us here today? What does that mean for us that, um, why is it so important, the resurrection to us? Like, I didn't understand, like, why Christ had to rise from the dead. But now that I understand that, through his resurrection from the dead, he had victory over sin. It wasn't his death on the cross that had victory. He died on the cross because of our transgression, it says, but he was raised up for our victory. And so, now, we see that in Romans, uh, Paul says that if you believe that Jesus died on the cross for you, right? 
and he also rose up for you. If you believe that Jesus died and rose up for you, what, is that, what does that mean personally in your life? Um, because, in, let's actually talk about what it means, like we're spiritually dead, right? We established that we're spiritually dead. And Paul says, you have died with Christ. When I used to look at the verse that you have died with Christ, or you are dead, you are dead with Christ, I used to think, like, um, if I'm dead to something, like, that means, like, if someone, like, if Dennis here did me dirty, and I was, like, I got super hurt at Dennis, and I was, like, Dennis, you are dead to me. That's what I used to think what being dead to sin means. It means that, like, Jesus Christ uh, went on the cross for me, and now I'm dead to sin. Like, I hate sin. Like, because Jesus died for me, I'm not going to do that sin anymore. That's not what being dead to sin means. Being dead to sin is not something we did on our own power. It's not something that you do on your own power. Having victory over sin is not something you do on your own. Because if you believed that Jesus Christ died for you, Paul says we also believe that we are raised up with him. So, our spirit that is dead is raised up with Christ. Our spirit that was enslaved to sin, our spirit that was, um, like, we could, not, we could not do anything. Like, Paul says that um, uh, if, if righteousness could be achieved through the law, then Christ died for no reason. We could not do anything. We could not do anything to save ourselves. We could not do anything. And so, it's a really hard topic to break down. Like I'm struggling to like. I see a lot of blank stares, and I'm just like, that's just. I'm feeling it right here that my point's not getting across. And so, um, we died with Christ. That doesn't mean that. Jesus Christ did his part on the cross. Now I do my part here on earth. Like, he died for my sin. Now I died to my sin. He not only died, um, he not only died for my sin, but now that I believe in Jesus Christ, I am, my spirit that was dead is raised up with Jesus Christ. And, like, if you, if you rose from the dead, like, Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he defeated sin. He had victory over sin. Because I believed in that, I, spiritually speaking, you don't see this, but the moment you have faith and put your faith in Jesus Christ, the moment you stop looking at yourself and is trying to establish your righteousness because what you're really saying when you come to Jesus and you're saying that I'll do better next time, I can do better, you're literally saying, I don't need your righteousness that you've given me. I have a righteousness of my own. I don't need your righteousness. I can do this on my own. Just give me another chance. Just give me another chance. No, we take his righteousness. His death, we believe that we, we, we were all born dead, and so now 
Jesus Christ rose up and we rose up with him spiritually. And that gave us our victory over sin. What do I mean that you're dead to sin, victory over sin? It doesn't mean that for the rest of my life, since I have victory because I have victory with Christ, it's not something that I did. I, I, it's not like I'm dead to sin. Paul says, you, he's, not gonna, he's not saying you will be dead to sin or you're going to be dead to sin. He says, you are dead to sin. It's something that already happened. It's something that happened on the cross. The victory happened because we were raised up with Christ. We were raised. We couldn't do anything in our own power. We were raised up with Christ. And so, um, like how can we, we we don't see that our spirit is reborn. It's hard to understand this. So I have this little prop. So this represents someone who is spiritually dead. This represents someone who is spiritually dead. And because they did not believe in Christ, they do not have the victory over sin. Sin has power over them. So when this person sins, let's say they lied to someone. They cheated. They... What's a sin that we can name? They stole something. What else? Drugs? Drugs. Hey, what else? Gossip. Gossip is terrible, guys. What else? Idols, lust, addictions, anything you can name of. And when you were dead spiritually, these sins, you can see that they start adding up, right? Sin has victory over you, and you're constantly reminded of the sin. Your sin cannot do that. Your sin cannot just leave. Your sin, it's there. You're going to be, you're literally dead, spiritually speaking. You're sold in slavery to sin. Sin has power over you. You're storing for yourself up the wrath of God for the day of judgment. And so now we have someone who is spiritually born again. Here, let's hold that right there. Spiritually born again. And this person, because they believe that Jesus Christ died for them and their victory is not in themselves, their victory is in Christ's resurrection because through dying and resurrecting, he had victory. Because I believe in that, I have victory. And so when that person, and this, this person, the person who came to God, he repented of his sin, right? This person is like, I'm sorry, God. Like, I can't do anything on my own. I need your righteousness. And when this person stumbles and falls, Magic. What's going on here? So, you want me to show you how I did it? Magic. So basically, um, now that we are 
born again, now that we have victory over sin, not because of what we do, but because of what Christ did. This is no longer us. This is us. Colossians says that, Paul says in Colossians that your life is now hidden in Christ. And when Christ will be revealed in glory, you will be revealed in glory with him. What are some other good verses? For there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Um, I had a whole list of verses I was just going to read off and read off. And basically, because the victory was given to us through the power of the cross, we, us living in the flesh, we don't have to worry about working to get somewhere. We don't have to worry about working to get somewhere. We have to put our faith completely in Jesus Christ. When you, when you say that, you know, I can do better next time, like in your, when you're weighed down with your sin, you're going back to that right there. You're going back under the law. You're going back to the curse of the law. It says the law, and like what was the whole point of getting the law? What was the whole point of receiving? Oh, you guys can sit down, sorry. What was the whole point of God giving the law? It says the law was given to show us what sin was because before the law was given, there was no, such, there was no concept of sin because there was no law. Like if... Like in Montana, I, th I think back in the day, there used to be no speed limits. And so you can just go as fast as you want because no one lives there. And so nowadays, they have an 80-mile-per-hour speed limit most, most way through Montana. So you're driving through there, and you can just haul through Montana. But before the law was given, there was no, um, there was no, you couldn't get a ticket, right? I, I mean, I probably made that up, but... <laughs> But what does it mean to live in the power of the resurrection? What does it mean that we now have power with Christ? It means that, and, and like I was saying, like some people will look at this and they'll say, Peter, you know what? All you're doing is giving, you're giving an excuse for people now to sin. That's all you're doing. You're literally saying, now that sin has no more power over you, and you're throwing these marbles in, that means that you're just giving the people right to sin. And I'm not preaching that Christians live in sin. Paul didn't say that now that you're a Christian, you're gonna, you're, you can sin as much as you want, and you're going to be okay. But instead, he says, um, and he literally, he knows that people are thinking this because people believe that uh, you get righteous through the law. He literally says, um, what then? Shall we sin because we're no, not under the law but under grace? May it never be. So we don't have, and check this out. So we used to be slaves to sin, right? But now we are freed with Christ. And so a good example of what it means to not sin when you're a Christian um, during, the, during the time of slavery here in the United States. During the time of slavery, people were treated like animals. People were treated like garbage. And 
if you were African-American back in the day and you were unlucky enough to get shipped over here on the trade ships, they told you what to, they gave you food, they told you what to eat, where to sleep, when to go to sleep, when to wake up, what to do, and all this stuff. Like, they would literally treat you like you're just an object. And so Paul's saying, you guys used to be slaves to sin, but now you are freed from sin. You are freed from sin because of what Christ did for you on the cross and because of the resurrection, because when he died and when he rose again, you died with him and you rose again with him spiritually. And so he's saying, even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body as to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who are alive from the dead and your members as instruments to righteousness of God. So, Paul's saying that you were freed from that terrible master that was treating you like garbage. He's saying that now that you are dead, you're spiritually like, you didn't see that it happened, but you believe that it happened and now you are free. He's saying, don't go back to living in sin because you're literally going back to your old master, the guy who was treating you like garbage, and you're, making, and you're letting him treat you like garbage again. He's saying, live, live, don't sin, because when you sin, and it's really interesting, like, what, why, why shouldn't I sin now that I'm a Christian? I used to think that, like, well, you'll lose the blessing, you'll lose some kind of blessing, or you'll be, uh, you'll just, like, like, Basically, when I sin, it only affects me. It only affects, like, man, I'm not walking with God. I lost my communication. I feel bad, this and that. But when we sin, we're literally showing people that, hey, when Christ died on the cross and when he resurrected, that has no power. That has no power because I claim that I am freed from sin. I claim that I have victory over sin. But then when I sin and people see that, People see that I sinned, you're telling them that his victory wasn't enough to free me from sin. And what do I mean that we're now freed from sin? Is that that we're never going to sin again? No, that's not what it means. Victory over sin is not that I'm not going to fight stuff in my life. I'm not going to fight whether it's addictions, whether something comes up. We have, like, seasons in our life. Um... Uh, Paul writes that um, if we, and if we sin, we have an advocate before God, which is Jesus Christ. And how can we apply all this stuff to us? How can we apply that we are now f- freed from sin? And I, I wanted to use another example really quickly. Like when, when you're working and when you're, the main boss comes and he's looking at you. He's looking how you're working. And he's like, he's looking and he's like, he's, he's doing an evaluation. You're like the, the main boss, the main head of the company. And usually you'll work how you normally work, but now that that boss is looking at you, you're literally just sweating. And you're like, you can't think straight and you're making mistakes. And that boss is looking at you and he's like, he's ready to fire you. 
He's ready to do something. He's ready to like, and you're, you know that, and you're just constantly making mistakes. And then, this is basically how we see ourselves with Christ. We think that if we do something wrong, Christ is literally just going to, you know, revoke our salvation, revoke this, revoke that. And But then, but then when, like, when we know that, like, that's not how it is. Christ is not, he died for us. He doesn't want us to live in sin. He doesn't want us to be weighed down by our sins. Like, when we're just working on our own, like, when we're, let's say we're in a union, and we know that we're not going to get fired just like that. There's some kind of, there was a contract made, like, and you're not going to get fired, you're, and no one's, like, no one's watching after you. It's like, you literally, you don't sweat, you don't make the mistakes, you're working, and you're working really good, actually. When no one's watching you, when you feel like no one's watching you, you can actually walk with Christ. Like, in your, in your personal life, when you know that Jesus Christ, when he died for you and he gave you victory and now you have victory, it's like, I want to live in victory. When your spirit is reborn, you're like, I want to not sin anymore. I want to do this. I want to live right before God because he did so much for me. And so, I want to just, for this for this kind of idea that the resurrection, it's not us that have victory over sin. We had victory over sin, like you are dead to sin, and if you are dead to sin, you already had victory when you believed in Jesus Christ. And now we walk in newness of life. He's saying, do not use your freedom for Christ for evil. Do not sin. Do not do all these bad things, because these bad things show that you are still a slave to sin. Like, we shouldn't look at ourselves and be, like, constantly weighed down by our sin, but be like, man, God, like, God gave me the freedom that I never have to do this sin again. I never have to do that sin ever, ever again. Like, I'm free from that. And when you believe, like, it's not just knowing this. It's believing that you are freed right now from sin. As I'm standing here, I'm legitimately freed and I have victory over sin, not because of what I did, but because of what Christ did for me. We need to believe that we have victory over our sins, and then we need to walk in that newness of life. We need to walk in that. We can't just, like, I'm going to do my part to show that I deserve this. It's, he's saying do not walk to deserve it. He says walk in a manner worthy. He's saying don't walk to deserve it. Walk because you have new life. Just walk in that new life. Walk as, as a Christian now. So I just want us to quickly, our service is coming to a close. We still have a guest speaker speaking. And I just wanted us to pray. If we still, like, constantly just look at ourselves and still rely on ourselves, and God has to teach this. Like, you literally have to be sick of relying on your own power. You literally have to realize that, like, I cannot do this on my own. I did not, like, get this from reading the Scripture Legitimately, I had to learn this by just being constantly defeated, defeated, defeated. I'm like, why am I defeated? There is something wrong in my Christianity. Like, is this how a Christian lives? No, this is not how a Christian lives. I want to have victory. What am I missing? And Christ opens like, hey, it's not because of what you did. It's because of what I did and only because of what I did. And I want us to take with faith and walk in this newness of life that 
Christ died for me, and Christ gave everything for me, and I want us to just give up everything to God. Give up everything. Give up our desires. Give up our lives for him because he deserves it all. Because he gave everything for me, for me to be with him, I should give everything. Not because I have to. Not because I have to deserve something, but because I want to. Because my spirit is renewed. My spirit is alive with Christ. Let's pray. We have a brother from Odessa. Do you guys know where Odessa is? Ukraine. Thank you. Thank you. Um, this is a very uh, historical city. Um, a lot of memories. I've been there once or twice when I was little. But uh, there's a saying that in Odessa, if you ask a question, they come back at you with a question. So he asked me, what do you want me to, to talk about? <laughs> So hopefully we're going to get some answers today. God bless you, brother. Пусть Бог благословит вас и брат Андрея. По-русски, ну, все понимают так в основном. Does everyone understand Russian? I won't be speaking very fast. Я из города Одесса. I'm from Odessa. Может быть, кто-то был в Одессе. Maybe someone visited Odessa. Это город, находящийся у Черного моря. Я родился и вырос в церкви, которой через два года будет сто лет. I was born and raised in a church that in a couple of years will uh, have its 100th uh, anniversary. Это первая пятидесятническая церковь на Украине. And this is the first Pentecostal church in Ukraine. И Свое служение я начал в возрасте 23 лет. И я хочу продолжать тему, которую говорил брат. Я извиняюсь по-английски не очень хорошо говорю, но неплохо понимаю. Я хочу Буквально один стих прочитать Евангелие от Матфея, 23 глава, 37 стих. Иисус, смотря на Иерусалим, начинает молиться с такими словами. Иерусалим, Иерусалим, избивающий пророков и камнями побивающих посланных к тебе. Сколько раз хотел я собрать детей твоих, как Птица собирает птенцов своих под крылья, и вы не захотели. Вот, оставляя ваш дом, дом ваш пуст. О, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that thou killest the prophets and stones them with which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathered her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. Эти страшные слова были произнесены над Иерусалимом. Кто знает, что произошло через 70 лет с Иерусалимом и с храмом? Кто знает? Не стесняйтесь. Ну. Иерусалим был разрушен и не осталось камня на камне. Jerusalem was destroyed and there was not a single rock left on a rock. 24 глава продолжается тем, and chapter 24 of Matthew continues, что Иисус 
идет с учениками. And that Jesus is walking with the disciples. И они говорят: "Посмотри, какой красивый храм". And they say, "Look at this beautiful temple." Иисус говорит: "Посмотри на него". And Jesus says, "Look at it." Здесь не останется камня на камне. Not a single stone will be left on a stone. Через 70 лет. In 70 years. Произошло событие. Something happened. Которое стало Одним из, это один из дней скорби всего еврейского народа. Uh, uh, that became a day of sorrow for the nation of Israel as a whole. Храм был полностью разрушен. The temple was destroyed fully. История интересна тем, что храм был удивительно красивый. Представьте белые камни, if you can imagine white stones, которые были отшлифованы, which were made very smooth. Внутри inside, этого помещения стены были выложены золотыми пластинами. Которые помещались на драгоценные породы деревьев. Кто знает, что было нарисовано на этих изображениях? Вы знаете, что евреям нельзя было ничего рисовать. И тем не менее, на стенах были изображения. Что было изображено? Это были гравюры херувимов. These were the cherubim. All of the walls were covered with cherubims. Cherubims that were made of gold. And there was a certain time of day when the sun was rising and the rays of the sun would uh, hit a very particular uh, Uh, area of the temple. And uh, from the temple, if you would stand outside, you would see this illumination happening. As if the glory of God was covering this temple. This was something amazing. Jesus said that And Jesus said, here I'm going to leave your house empty or desolate. 70 years go by. The emperor uh, Titus and another man, they surrounded Jerusalem. And the walls were almost, uh, 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 they couldn't be uh, taken. Но не для римской армии. В течение короткого промежутка времени город пал. И когда римские солдаты ворвались в Иерусалимский храм, один из солдат бросил факел внутрь храма. И там начался пожар. Температура была настолько высокая внутри помещения, что золото стекало по стенам и попадало между камнями. 
And it would uh, be, and then it, and it would uh, flow into between the the crevices of the rocks. Пожар, and so when this fire was finished, храм, камнем, Roman soldiers started to take apart the building, literally stone after stone, in order to extract the the, the gold that was melted into there. What do I want to say by this? История это, скажем так, ну результат этого было то, что от храма не осталось абсолютно ничего. The result of this was that there was nothing left from the temple. Но это позволяет нам для себя сделать определенный вывод. But it allows us to make a certain type of a lesson, draw a certain type of lesson. Если твой храм пуст. If your temple is empty or desolate, the question whether or not it is going to be destroyed is only a question of time. An empty temple is going to be destroyed. And that is the truth. And you could find yourself surrounded by a massive amount of friends who went to church But today their temple remains empty. And sometimes some of them already have their temple destroyed. And that is why for myself I had made the decision to live a wholesome life in Christ Jesus. When I began my ministry the first type of ministry that I had was a ministry in the prison and I did this three times a week. И между моим домом и тюрьмой было кладбище. Between my house and the prison there was a cemetery. И каждый день мне приходилось проходить мимо этого кладбища для того, чтобы попасть на служение. And every day I had to go through the cemetery in order to make it to the place where I was doing the service. И в самом конце пути была красивая красивый памятник. And at the end of the cemetery or, or my path through the cemetery there was this beautiful monument. Этот памятник был поставлен молодому лейтенанту летчику. And this monument was raised up for a young lieutenant of pilot на которого было написано одно предложение. Его история была такова, когда самолет падал. Here's his story. When the plane, his plane was falling. Это был военный самолет. This was an army plane. И у него какой-то был сбой в двигателе. And there was some kind of problem in the engine. Этот самолет падал на дома. And this plane was falling, and it was going to fall on the houses, a place where people live. And this young man who was 24 years old, he could have easily just shot himself out out of the fighter plane. This wasn't his problem anymore. He could have protected his life. But he understood the way he was flying that his plane was going to fall into the very place where people live, where children play uh, in, in, on the playground. And he was holding this plane until the last second. 
пока весь самолет за строениями не упал и не взорвался. Никто не погиб. И на его могиле написали такие слова. Вся жизнь His life, похоже, all his life was на одно мгновение, like that one instance. Вся жизнь похожа на одно мгновение, в котором нужно принять верное решение. A life resembles a single moment where a true decision must be reached. Каждый из вас принимает решения в своей жизни. И даже то, что ты сегодня пришел на это место, это тоже решение. Я уверен, что каждый из вас может принять решение жить полноценной жизнью для Иисуса Христа. Быть полезным для Него. Потому что когда мы входим в сферу Божьего служения, это радикально меняет нашу жизнь. В нашу жизнь приходят Божьи чудеса. Ты становишься счастливым. Потому что жизнь без Иисуса Христа не имеет никакого смысла. Вы знаете, первое чудо в моей жизни большое first big miracle in my life. Произошло практически в начале моего служения. And this happened in, in the beginning of my ministry. Я поделюсь, это будет одно из таких свидетельств. And this is a testimony I want to share with you. Это было время, когда у нас в Украине This was a time when we in Ukraine обнаружили такую болезнь спид. Uh, had discovered this new sickness called AIDS. And at that time we were serving in, in, in uh, prisons and jails. And in the prison where we served, and they started testing uh, the prisoners and 24 men uh, were found to have this type of sickness. And they were, uh, these men were about 18 to 32 years old. And the, the good doctor had come and had told them that they have no more than four years to live. What can a young man think when someone came to him and said you have four years left? Просто многие говорят, знаете, что депрессия это такое плохое слово. Но по-другому сказать, что пришло в сердце этих людей, я не знаю. Это была страшная депрессия. Дело в том, что их отделили отдельно. Ограничили общение с ними. The, the amount of communication they had with the outside world or even... and uh, the food that they were given was given like, like it was given to animals they just had this one place in the door where, where it would open and a plate would just be uh, given to them. And so where these uh, men were was right across the place where we did our service.
services. And every time that I made uh, the service or did the service, I would hear how they would stand by their cell or right at the end of their cell and listen what is happening to what is happening in our service. And so I uh, made a decision. I need to co- go there and I need to tell them about Jesus Christ. And I came to the officer and I said, listen, uh, there, there are some men here and I want to share the gospel, the good news with them. He said, well, you're not really normal. Because uh, the people there, uh, they're uh, also a little bit abnormal. They can jump on you. They could bite you. Они могут кувалдить тебя иголкой, которую они заразить со своей кровью и ну заразить иголкой уколоть тебя. And they could take a needle that they were using and they could stick you with it and thus give you this sickness. Ни один из наших офицеров не пойдет тебя туда спасать. And he said, you know, not one of our officers will go into that room to save you if that happens. Ну я ему говорю, слушай, это не проблема, я подпишу бумаги. I said, well, that's not a problem. Let me just say, sign whatever papers I need to sign. И знаете, у него что-то произошло такое. Something happened in his conscience. He says, go. And so I took 13 uh, uh, New Testaments under my armpit. And I uh, started to head down to, to this room, this lockdown area. And so they knew that I would come. And they all gathered in one room. And they all gathered in one room. And to me, uh, a man approached who was supposedly the one who was in charge. Мы, знаете, был такой момент, moment, который я запомнил на всю свою жизнь. Для меня это стал один из принципов жизни. Когда этот парень вышел, out, ко мне навстречу, me, он протянул руку. Вы знаете, он протянул руку и вспомнил, по всей видимости, что он-то не очень здоровый. И он протянул ее и сразу стал как-то так убирать. Мы очень мало знали про болезнь. Мы не знали, что такое спид и как он передается. Это сейчас мы уже грамотные. А тогда мы абсолютно ничего не знали. Но на тот момент я четко понял, что если я не возьму, не схвачу его за руку и не пожму, and shake it. I that I'm carrying with me, turn around and walk back into my church. My, um, my sermon will be absolutely powerless. And so I grabbed his hand. And I said, listen, everything's okay.
okay. Не комплексуй. Don't be weirded out. Тот Бог, которого я проповедую, он намного больше той болезни и проблемы, которые у тебя есть. He's a lot bigger than the problem that you have and the sicknesses that you have. Я зашел, они сидели. And so I came into this room. They were sitting there. Я полчаса проповедовал им об Иисусе Христе. For half an hour, I was preaching to them about Jesus Christ. Раздал, помолился. I prayed. Мы молились о том, чтобы Бог явил свою милость и исцелил их. And I prayed so that God would show His mercy and heal them. Я раздал Евангелие и сказал, что если вы будете его читать внимательно, and I gave them their their Bibles and said, if you will read the Bibles carefully, и верить в того. And you will believe in the one about whom uh, this book speaks of. I would recommend that you accept him as your personal savior. And AIDS as a sickness will not have the meaning that it has uh, or any meaning that it has in your life now. Я, когда я вышел из этого помещения, на дворе меня ждал начальник. Знаете, можно сказать, он рвал волосы и говорил, зачем я тебя пустил туда? Эти 40 минут пребывания, я уже увидел, что седые волосы у меня добавились. Growing on my head. Я, конечно, пошутил. Я сказал, я достаточно большой, чтобы меня так быстро не скушают. And I said, you know, I joked. I said, I'm, uh, I'm quite big. They wouldn't be able to eat me in 40 minutes. И меня запретили туда больше ходить. And they prohibited me from walking into that room from that time on. Приехала комиссия с Европы. And so a commission from Europe came. И ребята снова проходили обследование. And again, these men were going through this testing, medical testing. На тот момент я уже, ну, мне туда не пускали. At that moment, I was no longer able to talk to them. I, they weren't allowing me to walk into that facility. И вот в один из очередных дней, когда я снова шел туда на служение, as I was walking another day towards this prison for my services, я стоял возле Standing by this little door through which you can get into the prison. И я увидел человека, который бежал ко мне, так знаете, со стороны и махал рукой. And I saw how someone was running towards me, and he was waving his hand. И он так подошел и говорит, Руслан, я тебя приветствую, стал меня обнимать. And he ran to me. He said, Ruslan, I I greet you, and he began to hug me. Я говорю, я Прости меня, но я тебя как бы не знаю. And I said, forgive me, but I don't know who you are. Он мне говорит, как? He said, what do you mean? Ты же был у нас. You were with us. Когда я находился в изоляторе. When I was in that isolated room. И я один из тех тринадцати, которые болели, были заряжены спидом. I was one of the thirteen that had the sickness of AIDS. При повторном обследовании. And after I was tested the second time. Одиннадцать из тринадцати. Eleven of the thirteen. Были абсолютно здоровы. Were absolutely healed. Слава Иисусу Христу. Glory be to God. Бог удивительные вещи делает. God does miraculous things. Я тогда понял. And I understood at that time. Тот в кого я верю. That the one whom I believe in. Намного больше моих проблем. Is a lot greater than my problems. Любых проблем которые могут существовать на этой земле. Or any problems that could be here on earth. Любых болезней. Any sicknesses. И это была отправная точка. And this was that set-off point. Для моего личного духовного служения. For my personal spiritual ministry. Сегодня мы трудимся 
Today we serve many in many uh, jails. We preach to those who are sick with AIDS. We walk into the, the, the hospitals that, uh, and preach to the people that have active TB, tuberculosis. We also work with the elderly in the, in the houses where they live. And we also work with the children who are orphans. And in, uh, in our city we don't have the largest church. But there's a lot of young people. Потому что всю основную работу взяла на себя молодежь. И многие приходят в церковь, ну, лично к нам. Потому что они хотят что-то делать. Знаете, каждый из вас может очень много сделать для Господа. И это касается разных сфер. У нас есть, ну, скажем так, маленькие хрупкие сестры. Которые несут служение среди детей сирот. Who are ministering to the children that are orphans. Это отдельное служение. And this is a separate ministry которая, знаете, заставляет нас смотреть на мир совершенно, ну, скажем так, другими глазами. And this ministry forces us to look at the world with different eyes. Потому что сирота because an orphan это не просто факт is not just a fact. Это образ мышления. This is a, a mindset. Потому что я много людей в церквях because I've met many people in the church встречал, которые имеют вот это, знаете, мышление сироты. Who have this mindset, this mindset of an orphan. Да, это отдельная тема. And that's another topic. Поэтому я хотел бы сказать. And so I would like to say. Для того, чтобы произошло чудо. In order for there to be a miracle. Нужно быть всегда на том месте, где оно может произойти. You always need to be in the place where the miracle can happen. Бог никогда не разбрасывается своим ресурсом. God will never throw his resources around. Он всегда проявляет свою славу на том месте, где мы служим Ему. Пусть Бог благословит вашу церковь и вашу. Я вас приглашаю к нам на Украину. To Ukraine. У нас очень много есть интересных проектов. There are many interesting projects that you can be a part of. мы работаем с детьми, от которых отказались родители. Imagine we work with children whom parents have simply left. И возможно, ты никогда не прикасался к человеку, которого никого нету. And maybe you've never touched a person who genuinely doesn't have anyone in the world. Это удивительное переживание. It's a very interesting phenomenon. Потому что первое, что делают дети, знаете что? that children do uh, orphan does he comes to you he kind of gets really close to you and he simply desires for you to uh, show him some attention or her he understands or she understands that you won't take him away but he catches this moment in order, in order that, uh, that when he comes to this Christian person that this Christian person might share with him or her a little bit of love 
мы кормим этих детей. Знаете, мы как-то кормили их по-американски, так, чтобы они были полностью сытые. Я заканчивая скажу вот что. Знаете, мы как-то приехали, мы решили сделать хот-доги для них. И в то время, когда одна часть наших друзей играла с ними, of our counselors were playing with the children. Мы сделали очень много хот-догов. We made a lot of hot dogs. Такие огромные. They, they were big hot dogs. И мне было очень странно, когда маленькая девочка съела три штуки. And it was very interesting to see a little girl eat three large hot dogs. Она подошла ко мне и говорит, дядя, And she came дядьку, to me and she said, uh, uncle, а черная вода будет? She says, uh, will you have black water? Я говорю, а что за черная вода? And I said, what, what do you mean black water? Она говорит, ну, пепси-кола. She says, пепси-кола. Я говорю, так она же вредная. I say, well, it's not good for you. Она говорит, это для вас вредная. She says, it's not good for you. Для нас нормально все. For us, everything's okay. Самое интересное в этой истории было то, что мы покупали много бананов, апельсинов для них. Это был для меня один интересный опыт. Мы решили раздать им абсолютно вот сколько они унесут. Мы очень много привезли. И вот они стали набивать в карманы, за пазуху, знаете, бананы. They started to take the bananas and put them in the pockets, put them under their coat, put them on their shoulders, around their neck. And they took everything. And I was standing by my car with an empty box. Знаете, мне казалось, что они сейчас побегут домой, туда, где они спят, и будут под подушку прятать. Это нормальная реакция ребенка, у которого ничего нет. Но произошло совершенно другое. Они подошли и говорят, дядьку, я там съев два банана, а уже у меня такие, говорит, апельсины, возьмите, у вас же ничего не маю. But they started coming up to me and they said, listen, uncle, we ate two bananas, I'm full, but I still have some oranges left, would you like some? Для меня, знаете, это очень многое внутри, для меня такой был момент. And this was a very interesting moment where inside, I understood, тот, кто пережил боль, тот, кто знает, что такое мало или не хватает, очень часто более жертвенный, чем тот, который никогда не знал нужды. Пусть Бог благословит. Ценить то, что мы имеем. Ценить наших родителей, нашу церковь и возможность, которую мы имеем Пусть Бог благословит. Я буду заканчивать. Мы будем молиться, нет? Давайте помолимся. Я знаю, что у каждого из вас будет выбор в жизни. 
Каждый из вас пройдет через момент принятия решения. От этого зависит вся ваша жизнь. Иногда этот выбор надо делать несколько раз, даже в день. Молюсь о вас, чтобы Бог дал вам принимать правильное решение Цени то, что вы имеете. To treasure that which you have. Пусть Бог благословит. Помолимся. May God bless. Let's pray.